Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode number 53. Now, my guest today is Shane Pruitt. Now, Shane and I recorded this interview back in June, so you'll hear, you'll hear a little bit of talk about, about early summer things, but uh, I had to hold this interview for a number of, re- number of reasons, nothing to do with Shane. I just I, I went on vacation, and then a bunch of things got shifted around in my schedule and a bunch of other people's time-sensitive book launches. But here's what's really cool. Today, Shane's church, Lake Point, just paid off the massive amount of debt of people living in the area of, of Dallas and, and Rockwell. Uh, they're celebrating their 40th anniversary this month, so uh, I just thought that was just really cool timing that right now they're celebrating, hey, it's our 40th anniversary, how can we bless our community? Let's pay off millions of dollars in medical debt. Uh, and so you may hear about that in the news coming out. Uh, I just read about it today, and that was totally coincidental timing, but how cool is that? Praise God. I love a church that puts its money where its mouth is, so to speak, and you'll hear in this interview that... Uh, Lake Point are doing a bunch of cool things in terms of involvement in the community and meeting very local needs. So let me get out of the way and we can listen to Shane. Now, also in the middle of the podcast, uh, I'll be announcing the giveaway winner of last week's giveaway, which was uh, Natalie Frisk's book, Raising Disciples. That book came out yesterday. It's an incredible book for parents looking to raise their children in faith, faith that is honest and authentic and not being forced down someone's throat. So if you're on the progressive end and you're like, I don't want to be indoctrinating my children, don't worry. Uh, This is a great book too. Go and order it. It came out yesterday and shortly you will hear who won the giveaway. Let's go. Today, I have Shane Pruitt on the line. Shane is a ministry leader. He's a blogger. He's the author of Nine Common Lies Christians Believe and Why God's Truth is Infinitely Better. And if you happen to have seen that uh, tear-jerking video of uh, a beautiful little baby girl being brought home to her older sisters, I believe Shane is the guy holding the camera on that one. So uh, welcome to the show, Shane. Hey, Jonathan, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on. And you're right, man. I was the one holding the camera. As you can tell, uh, uh, being a cameraman is not my first profession at all. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a little shaky. Yeah. And then uh, when my uh, seeing the way our older daughters reacted, I always joke, uh, I'm the one with the somehow my voice went very high pitched, you know, in the background, you know, I think through tears. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a special moment, man, for sure. For sure. I want to hear more about that in a minute. Uh, yeah. So you're, you're at camp, you're at beach camp this week. What's, what's up with you right now? Yeah. Yeah. I'm speaking to a bunch of high school students at a beach camp, uh, at Myrtle beach, South Carolina. So basically, um, I have one of my daughters with me, so we get to hang out at the beach all day in a water park and uh, we're in a in a high rise that faces the beach and then preach the gospel at night, man. So it's a good week. You know, I'm <laughs> suffering, you know, I'm suffering for Jesus on the White Sands beach here. <laughs> tell, tell me about these, about these, these high schoolers, what's happening? Yeah, yeah. So there's a little over 500 high schoolers all from a, a, a very large church. That, they're from Georgia. And man, it's been great. Uh, We've had two nights so far, and uh, they actually asked me uh, each night to uh, teach on one of the chapters from Nine Common Lies That Christians Believe. So we're kind of dispelling these cliches and then responding with God's word. And it's amazing, you know, because one thing that I know about uh, these next generation coming up, you know, um, cultural, um, I guess, uh, um, 
you know, identifiers or influencers. I've called this generation Generation Z, you know, so somebody with a lot of initials behind their name <laughs> called this generation Generation Z. And I love it, man, because they are sick of the cultural cliched Christianity. I think they see right through it at a much earlier age, often even earlier than probably their parents and grandparents did. And they're looking for truth. And so, man, we just break down these cultural cliches that aren't biblically true and respond with God's absolute truth. And it's amazing to watch how they respond. So it's awesome, man. It's a joy to be a part of it. That's so cool. So you yourself have five kids, which I would say is enough to make anyone question empty cliches. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we do. Yeah, Jonathan. So uh, I always say, you know, and it's true, my primary ministry is my family. Everything else I do is from the overflow of that. So I have a wonderful wife named Casey. We've been married almost 15 years. And Jonathan, I married way, way over my head. All right. <laughs> and so um, she is also in ministry. She uh, is on staff at our home church, which is um, we have seven campuses and we're at the main campus. And so she oversees our adoption and foster care ministry uh, for the main campus and then works with the leaders at the other campuses. And, um, and then we have five kids that are 13 and under. That is a prayer request. All right. <laughs> so, uh, our oldest is 13. Our second to the oldest is seven. Uh, they're both biological daughters. And then we have a six-year-old son, uh, who is adopted from Uganda. Uh, We have a three-year-old son um, that is adopted from the greatest nation in the world, Texas. (laughs) We live in Texas. (laughs) We identify as our own nation in Texas, right? And then we have a almost two-year-old that is also adopted from here in Texas. And uh, she is the little one that is on the video you mentioned earlier. So, yeah, that's our crew right there, man. Yeah, we roll roll seven deep. We call it the Pruitt Pack. (laughs) What do you you drive, sir? (laughs) Yeah, so I drive a truck, but my wife drives one of those big Ford Transit vans yes. uh, because our six-year-old's in a wheelchair. Right, so it has a wheelchair right. lift in it, and it's huge. I mean, like it is like um, Jonathan. Do you remember the show A Team? Oh, you yeah, know they had sure. that big black van. So yeah. this is like an updated version of the A Team van. <laughs> so I thought it's huge. And when my wife wanted it um, about three years ago, I was like that is too big. Like we live in the suburbs. They're like, that is too big. You're going to hit something. I don't think you should get that. Anyway, we ended up getting it. And Jonathan, there's one dent in that van and guess who put it in there? I'm going to say it was dead. (laughs) Yeah, it was me, you know, so I was giving her a hard time about not being able to drive it, but I'm the one that put a dent in it. (laughs) I think you're actually the second person I've had on the show who's adopted from Uganda. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, So that's, that's cool. Uh, yeah. now I'm, I'm amazed that you're now, okay. So my church context is much smaller, you know, I mean, outside of the United States, sure. the rest of the world doesn't generally have mega churches to the scale, you know, yeah. let alone sure. Texas. I mean, I got yeah. friends who pastor in Houston and, you know, it's like, there's a mm. mega church full of mega churches in, in yes, Houston. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but your church has an adoption and foster care ministry. It is. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Very, it's a very, very important ministry of our church. It's one of those kind of frontline ministries, what we call it. Our pastor um, is an adoptive father. He has three adopted kids. So adoption is constantly in front of our church, even with the story of our pastor. So it's constantly in front of our church. And so it's a big, big, important um, ministry of our church. In fact, we put on 
an adoption conference every year that churches and people from other parts of Texas and other states come to. Um, so it's a big part of the ministry of our church. That is beautiful. Yeah, man. That is absolutely beautiful. Wow. I love it. Huh. I'm like, when, when's that conference? <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. So actually next year we'll have two. There's our own conferences in February. Um, and then there's a, a really uh, well-known conference that I would say is worldwide because literally people will fly in from other countries to go to it. It's called the Christian Alliance for Orphans or CAFO. And our, our church, Lake Point Church, is hosting CAFO next year. So we'll actually have two in 2020. Wow. Yeah. Well, there's some yeah. good resources there, folks. I will uh, I will link to that in the show notes, so you can uh, follow up with that if your if your heart is for adoption or if you want to learn more about adoption. Yeah. And my wife and I are uh, I don't I don't know where we're at exactly in the process. I feel like we're maybe two thirds or three quarters of the way through the home study uh, of our local children's aid society, getting approved for foster care and adoption, um, and it's just kind of been on our heart f- forever. Uh, I remember when we first got married and just started chatting, it was we just, it was just both a common thread, and we've got a lot of cousins and and folks in our extended family uh, who've come through adoption, whether international or or local. So uh, that's so cool, man. Love it. Yeah, yeah. My wife is definitely the expert of on that whole process and paperwork of our family. Like when I travel, you know, I travel and speak. Uh, almost full time. And so whenever I do that, I'll share our, our story. And so people come up and ask me very specific, detailed questions about different foster care agencies or adoption agencies. And I'm like, here, email my wife. She <laughs> will answer those. I know the 10,000 foot big picture. She is definitely the detailed process person when it comes to that ministry. Yeah, yeah, yeah fair enough. So you carry <laughs> her business card and... Uh, yeah, no doubt. And she you get a commission. Complete, yeah. And and people, it's so funny because people will be like, well, will she think that's weird that a total stranger is emailing her? And I'm like, no, it happens all the time. She'll know you were probably somewhere where I spoke. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, reading, reading through some of the stuff on your book, it, I got the impression that one of the first major kind of, let's say, bricks that began to crumble in the wall for you was this whole God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't tempt you beyond what you can bear. kind of mm-hmm. cliche, however that's exactly phrased. Uh, that's got to be the number one kind of bollocks thing that Christians say, right? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely so. This book, A Nine Common Lies Christians Believe and Why God's Truth Is Infinitely Better, is really the overflow of our story and our continual journey, Jonathan. Um, you know, so I mentioned our son Titus, who is adopted from Uganda. Um, we have a huge heart for Africa. In fact, my wife or I go to Uganda or the Congo every year and, and lead groups. And so I went last year. She will be going this year. I'm so excited. Our 13-year-old is going for the first time. So yeah. we're excited about that. So we have a huge heart for Uganda and the surrounding um, nations there. Um, and so, yeah, so backtrack, you know, seven years ago, we start the adoption process um, and we're doing international adoption. So lots of paperwork, like you mentioned, um, and so through that process, we get connected by some mutual friends and say, Hey, we know of a child with some special needs in a baby home in an area, um, where y'all have been before, uh, would y'all be interested, um, in adopting him? And when we first started adoption process, adopting a special needs child was not on our radar at all. 
But just through prayer um, and a lot of conversations, we felt the Lord saying, this is your son. So we are in country there. We're going through the process to become legal guardians of him. And then you come back to the States. That's where you finalize the adoption. And while we're there, we notice he has some some um, some struggles going on, but he's six months old at the time. So you, we really don't understand what's all going on. And then we're kind of in, in the bush of Africa. And, and the bush is what we would consider like the country or rural areas or what we say here in Texas, the boondocks, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. And so the medical professionals, they're doing the best they can, you know, because a clinic there is not what we would think of here in the States or in Canada. It's literally like a concrete floor with an open air um, like uh, building. And the first time we met our son, he was literally, I kid you not, Jonathan, under a mango tree with an IV in him, you know, on a blanket. So we finalized there. We bring him here. We land at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport one day. The next day, we check him in the Children's Hospital in Dallas, and he's there for five days. I believe it's on day three. After many, many tests, the neurologist comes into our hospital room. Uh, He turns off the TV, pulls a chair, and sits right in front of us. You know, like, that's never a good sign when the doctor is turning off the TV himself. And he basically says, after tests, we realize your son is having seizures, and about 30 a day. Um, he's got epilepsy, cerebral palsy. We don't know what all um, is going to look like for him for lifespan or quality of life. We don't know anything, um, but we do know this at this point. And I tell you, like hit us like a ton of bricks um, because we weren't prepared for that. Uh, one of the pieces of paper that you fill out when you're doing international adoption is almost like a checklist, Jonathan. And, and maybe y'all have done that as you're going through the process of things that your family's open to and not open to. Yeah. So clearly yeah. checklist of no, yes and no. And you hate to check no on anything, but for the best of your ability, you're checking yes and no on what you believe your family can take on or what your family can handle in that for ironic. Sure. And it's almost like the Lord is like, yeah, fill out your little checklist. See how that works out for you. <laughs> you know, I think it can happen like that in all aspects of life. You know, like God's like, I'm in control. I have a dream and vision for you. My plan is exceedingly more abundant than your plan and your checklist. But fill out your checklist. See how it works out for you. You know, and so, and so like everything almost that we check no on are things that our son had and, and struggle with. So now fast forward a year, almost on the year anniversary of our son being home, uh, my wife and I, just being honest and transparent, had a breaking moment um, because for about a year we were both struggling on the inside, uh, but we felt like we really couldn't show it or be honest and authentic. Um, I, like I mentioned a while ago, now um, I work with uh, a, a convention of churches, uh, I travel and speak a lot and write. But at that time, I was a pastor of a fast-growing church. And so here my wife and I are in ministry. We're leaders. And so we got to act like it's all okay, right? We're too blessed to be stressed, you know, and all these other cliches. But we were both struggling on the inside because honestly, we felt like this is not what we had signed up for. Um, And so after about a year, we both just broke because I masked my struggle in busyness and my wife, her struggle turned into a lot of anxiety. We're just being honest, Jonathan, there was times she didn't even want to leave the home for a lot of just struggle with that anxiety. And finally, we just got to a place of honesty. Um, we got to a place of being transparent and vulnerable 
Uh, we return back to the basics of scripture because sometimes the best way to move forward is return back to the basics. And it was amazing. Like when we got honest with our failures and our struggles and our worries and our fear, and we got honest with our story, it's almost like you saw our church break through another spiritual level because when they were like, man, our leaders are being honest, then they began to be honest with their struggles. And so kind of through that, we began to think, okay, what are some cliches that we all kind of share that we, for a lack of a better term, um, these one-liners, these cliches that we have adopted into the Christian community, baptized them and made them a part of our vernacular that aren't necessarily scripturally true because well-meaning people over that year that knew we were struggling, they would say things like, well, you know what the Bible says, God won't give you more than you can handle. And you're like, the Bible doesn't say that, you know, or, or they would say things like, you know, well, if God calls home Titus, well, God will gain another angel and, you know, and those kind of things. And so when we were in a much kind of healthier place, uh, my wife and I, we were just talking, you know, one night and I began to just make a list of what are some cliches, what are some one-liners that we share with one another that are not biblically true uh, because we typically, Jonathan, if you think about it, we typically share these cliches with people who are struggling right. or going through a dark night of the soul, right? You never say, God won't give you more than you can handle to someone who's having the best day of their life. You usually <laughs> share it with someone who is struggling. And we know what's going to get us through those dark nights of the soul is God's truth and not some little cliche that's not even biblically true. So we made a list of them. And, and uh, initially I wrote because uh, I'm a blogger, I love to write articles as well. So I initially wrote this as an article for Relevant, Relevant Magazine, yeah. um, and they shared it, and it became their most read article of the entire year nice. uh, and that year. And then some publishers reached out to me about turning this into a book, mm -hmm. and that's how this book came about. Yeah, very cool. So where, where do you land on that particular on that particular one? Then you know that God kind of won't give you more than you can bear. What's I mean, I've bumped into that for years, and I think I was happy to live with that pretty much until I got married and had kids and realized, ultimately, I married an amazing woman who's super different to me. And yeah. then we had kids uh, kind of, uh, let's say, welcome surprises, mm -hmm. you know, and and I'm like, I can't handle And then I went through burnout, yeah. and I'm like depressed yeah. and anxiety. I'm like, no, I cannot handle this. So what's the deal? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, God won't give you more you can handle, man. That has got to be one of the most popular cliches that you always hear. You know, and so there's so many layers to it. You know, I think, first of all, if you just make it as basic as possible, if you think about it, everything is more than we can handle. Um, you take the most basic act of life, breathing. We can't even breathe without a creator God creating oxygen, right? Um, we didn't form ourselves in our mother's womb. God did that. So from the very beginning, we are dependent upon God. You know, if you take that phrase and you break it down, God won't give you more than you can handle, then you're really placing yourself at the center of your own universe. And if it's about what you can handle, then all the pressure is on you. And I think that's why, yeah, millennials, Gen Z, young Gen Xers, so many of us struggle with anxiety and stress and depression and being overwhelmed. Now, I'm not talking about clinical anxiety. I'm not talking about clinical depression. I'm talking about your everyday just feeling overwhelmed. And I think it's because we're trying to handle everything. If you think about it, if you're trying to handle everything, you're really putting yourself in the position of God. And that's a job above your pay grade, right? 
And that's why we have stress. That's why we have anxiety. So at the end of the day, it's not about what we can handle. And if we could handle everything, then we wouldn't need God. So really, yes, we experience so many things that's more than we can handle so that it will drive us by faith to trust in a God who can handle everything. So really, I think the truth uh, in response to that cliche is this, is that God won't give you more than he can handle through you. Um, because if by pre- right, if it's about what you can handle, all the pressure's on you. Anxiety comes, worry comes, stress comes. So by faith, you take that and you place it on the shoulders of one who can handle it, the Lord, and then watch what God would do through your life. And so, yeah, so to me, yeah, God does allow us to go through things that we can't handle or God gives you things you can't, you know, wherever your theology lies in that, basically everything's more than we can handle. And it's an act, if it's teaching us faith. Um, I love to share this. You know, I didn't become a Christian until I was 21, Jonathan. So I always say the first 21 years of my life, I was building my testimony. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, and if you think about it, like, it's, man, it's really an act of faith saying, God, I desperately need you. And it's amazing what that all-powerful God does through you. And it's so much more exceedingly and abundantly more than you can handle on your own. So at the end of the day, you got to say, and I think all these lies can stem from this. Am I at the center of my own universe or is the Lord? Am I in control or is the Lord? And guess what? God is not your co-pilot. You know, I think that's another kind of cliche or bumper sticker. God is my co-pilot. No, he's not. God is the pilot. He's the plane. He's the seats. He's the fuel. You're along for the ride and uh, enjoy the view because it's a wonderful ride when you're allowing God to be the one that handles things through you. Mm. Yeah. I, I resonate with a lot of that. When I, uh, my listeners will have heard this a number of times, but when I went through uh, uh, an extended period of depression, and after after a second round of burnout in my late twenties, yeah, and I I, f- I was like begging to you know the Lord to f- to fix me and put me back together, mm-hmm. and I felt like he he said to me, Jonathan, what if I didn't put you back together? Mm-hmm. And I yeah. was like, well, then I'd have to rely on you every moment of every day, and I mm-hmm. felt you know like he's just like ding, <laughs> yeah, he's like yep, <laughs> yep, and you know you even think Jonathan, you know. Um, And maybe, you know, someone's listening right now going, well, what about those first Corinthians chapter 10 verses, right? Like um, you kind of quoted it a little bit while ago where, you know, those verses that talk about temptation and God won't let you be tempted beyond your ability, what you can bear. And you go, yeah, see, see, God won't give you more you can handle. Well, first of all, you know, those verses are about temptation and I deal with that in that chapter. Um, And but even in that, you know, I love verses 13 and 14 of that. Because in the middle of all of that, it says God is faithful. So even in that moment, you're depending upon God to be faithful. And then it says he will offer a way of escape so that you may endure. Right. So even in those moments, you're like, see, it is about, you know, being tempted beyond our abilities and all those. It's like, no, no, no. Even in that moment, you are dependent and you're desperate for God to be faithful and you're dependent to desperate for God to give you a way of escape. So even in those moments, yeah, like our walking in obedience is still depending upon God to handle it and not us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I like that. I've wrestled with the idea of God being in control and uh, how that interfaces with our free will and, and all that kind of stuff. And I th- obviously there's a lot of different schools of thought and schools of theology on how that practically plays out in our life. 
uh, I think for a lot of people, and, and myself included, the stumbling block comes into if if we if we have handed all all of our you know our sovereignty over to the Lord, and I'm not talking about people living selfish lives. I'm saying yeah, yeah. you are genuinely surrendered to God and have laid your life down and are pursuing Him. There's no guarantee that it's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, you know, you said enjoy the view, and and I think there's probably more to you than that sounds, because that could sound very much like, well, everything's peachy now that God's in control. Yeah, man. My wife and I talk about this all the time, and uh, I'm okay saying it now. I would have probably been scared to say it two, three years ago, but I'm okay saying it now because God knows our heart anyway. <laughs> like you can fake out everyone around you, but you can't fake out the all-knowing God. Is When it comes to the sovereignty of God, knowing God is in control, uh, that is what I call like a warm blanket about 90% of the time. And let's be honest, the other 10% of the time, knowing that God is control, sometimes make it worse. Can we be honest? Like we have a son like our, so you fast forward six years that our son's been with us, Titus. And in those six years, he's had 13 surgeries. Um, his seizures, um, are, uh, uh, much fewer, but he's still having seizures every day and there's no kind of suffering, like watching your child suffer. So there's moments where you're like, God is in control, man, that's a warm blanket. Oh man, that is comforting. That's peaceful. And then there's moments knowing God is in control causes more questions and more confusion. And I'm okay saying that. Um, three years ago, I'm like, oh, I'm a Christian leader. I can't say that, you know? Um, <laughs> All right. We'll get back to the show in just a moment. Hey, make sure you check out the show notes at jonathanpuddle.com slash podcast. You'll see Shane's podcast will be featured heavily on the homepage and, and anywhere else. There's links there to order Shane's book as well as to learn about uh, the adoption ministry and their church and various different things that are going on. Also, you will be able to support me on Patreon. All of my work is made possible by you guys who support me and sew into this work. Podcasting and writing is my full-time gig, and I have a bunch of amazing supporters. I've just hit 48, which is such a blessing to me. I have a goal right now of 300 supporters, which would be just a fraction of the people who listen to these podcasts. So I'm super, super thankful for everybody. Uh, Bob, Tanaka, Karen, and Virginie are my latest supporters who've come on in the last week. You guys are a blessing. I'm so thankful. I do not take any one of you for granted. And folks, if you are moved by any of this content, if you've been listening, if you're inspired and you'd like to help me out, uh, I would I would really appreciate it. Patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. And you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. And there's various other tiers you can give to, which will just uh, help me out and will give you access to a few different uh, things in my Patreon area, including uh, book studies that I've done, uh, interviews with other people, behind-the-scenes podcasts, more exclusive stuff. So head over there once you've had a listen. Now, we need to do a draw. Uh, where is my drawing thing? Here it is. Okay, I've got all the names for Natalie Frisk's book giveaway, and I'm hitting the randomize button. And it is... Patsy Art, congratulations. I'll be dropping you an email and we will get a signed copy of Natalie's book out to you right away. And friends, if you didn't listen to, to Natalie's interview last week, go back and listen to that. If you are a parent or you are in children's ministry or you love young people, you need to do yourself a favor and get Natalie's book, Raising Disciples. It's stellar. Anyway, back to Shane. But I think sometimes, even when we don't understand God's sovereignty, we still have to trust it, you know? 
uh, knowing that there will be a day where we understand or there may not be a day where we ever understand. And that's where faith comes in, you know, and I love Deuteronomy 29, 29, where it says God has revealed those things to man, which he wished to know. And then the secret things belong to the Lord. Um, you know, and even people sometimes will say, well, when, when I get to heaven and I see Jesus, I got a lot of questions for him. Um, chances are maybe not because maybe your <laughs> questions will be answered in heaven or maybe when you see the beautiful one face to face, they won't matter anymore. You know, so we look at our son and, and here's the deal is where the sovereignty of God is not what we would have written up for ourselves, but still is better than our own plan and our own vision. I'll give you an example of it. Like, so our son has been with us for six years and 13 surgeries in and out of the hospital constantly, constant doctor visits, constant therapy visits, constant struggles, constant, right? Going back and forth with insurance. And people will say, sometimes they'll say, hey, Shane Casey, that's my wife's name. If you knew six and a half years ago, what you know now, would you still have adopted your son Titus? And I think where our superficial uh, view of Christianity wants to pop back up and go, yes, and reveal the S on our chest because we're super Christians, you know, and God's going to work out all things according to his glory and our good, you know, like, but if we to be honest, um, and I, I feel like it's always better when we are honest because God knows our heart anyway. Um, and I want to be very careful. I say this, Jonathan, is like, if we'd be honest, the people who we were, and I want to be very honest how I say that, who we were, six and a half, seven years ago, would have probably said no. Um, we can't take that on. Uh, we can't handle that. Uh, we're too busy. We're in ministry. Could you imagine? No, we can't do it. We're in ministry. We're too busy. Um, but that's why God didn't consult with us. Because once again, his dream, his vision, his plan was bigger than our dream, our vision, our plan. You know, we should have goals for our life. Um, but And we should have visions and we should have plans for our life, but we got to hold on to them loosely because God's is bigger. And sometimes the most loving thing God can do is his will override our will, you know. And um, and so here's the deal is we would have said, no, we can't handle that. That's why God didn't consult with this. So now just being honest with you, Jonathan, it's not all peachy, man. Uh, it has been by far the hardest six years of our life. Yeah. By far. Um, no kind of suffering like watching your child suffer. Um, but on the flip side of that, it's also been by far the best six years of our life um, because besides the Holy Spirit himself, the greatest tool of sanctification and discipleship in our life is our son Titus. And I truly believe that God has used Titus to make me a better follower of Jesus, a better husband, a better father, a better friend, uh, a better um, servant to the body of Christ. Same thing with my wife, you know, and every day um, we lay hands on our son and pray for God to heal our son. Um, Jonathan, I, I don't know where your theology lies, but mine lies in enough that I believe that God could heal our son. Amen. Like, just with a thought, right? We just with a, like our son doesn't walk. Uh, he doesn't talk. He's fed through a G-tube. And just with the thought, Titus could get up, walk, talk, play. Um, so every day we lay hands on our son, believing God to heal our son. Whether it's here or eternity, we know God can heal. But what's ironic, this is where sometimes the sovereignty of God is not a warm blanket, um, but it's still the best way, is that 
over the last six years, as we've been praying for God to heal our son, Titus, that God has actually been using Titus to heal my wife and I. Yeah, come on. Meaning, like, God has healed us, uh, and we're still being healed. Hey, we are not there. we got a long way to go. Uh, we, we fall on our face a lot. But God is healing us daily from consumerism. Mm-hmm. And God is healing us daily for uh, about worrying about things that don't even matter. Um, that God is healing us from stressing over things that won't even matter in a hundred years. That God is healing us um, from believing in ourselves and teaching us to truly believe in Him. And not just for salvation. I think we talk about believing in Christ for salvation. I'm talking about in every day and sometimes every moment is a new decision to follow Jesus. Sometimes it's moment by moment is a is a choice to surrender and realize Jesus is better in this moment, you know. Um, and so. Yes, the sovereignty of God is not always a warm blanket. Sometimes it makes things more difficult knowing God's in control. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay saying that. Three years ago, Jonathan, I'd been terrified to say that. <laughs> well, I really <laughs> respect the way that you summed that up. Thank you. I, I'm blessed yeah. to hear that. I think, you know, so many of, like like you highlighted, you know, young Gen Xers and millennials and Gen Z, it's like we're battling these things. We've been told maybe, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. Go and dream your life and do it all and then we've 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 stumbled out there and we've got our degrees and they're yep. worthless and yep. the jobs haven't worked out and capitalism's yep. failed us and yep. it's kind of like well what's next and yep. self-help has told us we'll just believe in ourselves and yep and all yeah. that stuff so i really resonate with what you're saying and i've been with you i actually it's ironic you said that because last night preaching in these these high school students, man, uh, I shared the story of uh, Marcus Pearson, you know, who created and developed Minecraft and at 36 sold it to Microsoft for $2.5 billion and then outbid Jay-Z yeah, and Beyonce exactly. for a $70 billion mansion that has a candy wall in it. You know, like <laughs> I can't even, I mean, like he lives in Willy Wonka's house. And then, uh, man, we know some of his tweets, man, where he sh- talks about how lonely he is. And he's never been more unhappy. And, you know, to show, man, you can climb the mountain, like you said, of capitalism. You can climb the mountain of everything the world has to offer and find out there's nothing there, you know. And then how do you relay that to um, men and women who are in the jungles of the Congo with nothing and yet they're rich with joy, yeah. you know. It's amazing, you know, so we can have a lot of resources and but be impoverished with the things that matter, joy, hope and peace. And then you see people in other parts of the world that have nothing material wise, but are wealthy with joy, hope and peace, you know. Oh, for sure. So good. Uh, One of the things I I share, especially with people of this kind of age and, and, and young adults when I've been ministering, there's there's that tension surrounding my dreams and my visions and goals, like you just mentioned about having dreams and visions and goals yeah, and, and yeah. living in surrender to the Lord. And yep. I felt like I was chewing through that a few, few years ago in regards to my career and so on. And I felt like the Lord said, I mean, I say the Lord said, I mean, it felt like it's something that I learned and, and yeah, came to understand yep. in my heart, right? That, yep. that none of us value obedience in the first place. No, none no. of us, none of us are like, no. yes, obedience, my favorite. Yeah. What would you like <laughs> for breakfast today, sir? <laughs> so we have to learn it. We have to learn yep. Yep. to take joy in seeing the plans of God come to pass. Yeah. Typically, yep. we, you know, we rebel 
against those in some capacity. But, but uh, as we do, and as we are transformed, I believe there comes a day when the Father says, you have learned to take joy in seeing my plans fulfilled. Now, now I want to take joy in seeing your dreams fulfilled. Yeah. Because your dreams will actually further my kingdom because no you have now been regenerated and you look like my son. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. That's good. You know, Jonathan, that kind of leads to talking about joy to like another cliche covered in the book of God just wants me to be happy. You know, <laughs> um, people say, well, God just wants to be happy. And, it, and it's crazy, you know, being in ministry for over 18 years, doing a lot of counseling, my wife and I with couples. It's amazing, you know, how people will even use that cliche as justification for sin, really, you know, like, uh, you know, the husband wants to leave the wife for his secretary and, you know, and he's like, well, I know at the end of the day, God just wants me to be happy. <laughs> no, <laughs> like that. Yes, I God think wants that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, something yeah. wants you to be happy and it's not God, my friend. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Don't blame God for that one. You know? Um, and so, you know, not that God is anti-happy, but what, you know, kind of what I address is kind of the world's view of happiness. And um, I actually preached on this last night um, with the high schoolers. Man, the way they just vibed with it. Once again, I think they see through things um, that the world's telling them. But there's this kind of view of happiness, right? Like there's these circumstances. And, my, and if my circumstances are right, then I have this happy feeling, whatever that is. If my circumstances aren't right, then I don't have this happy feeling. Um, and so on some level, we're all a little bit bipolar, you know, and I'm not talking about clinical bipolar, obviously I'm talking about bipolar with our feelings. Like one day we feel like the king of the world. We're on front of the Titanic, like Leonardo, right? I'm the king of the world. And then the next day when everything goes wrong, then we feel like Leonardo in the freezing water, you know, like it's so cold. So, you know, um, and we're, and we're chasing this feeling of happiness and kind of what I, I propose in that chapter is that um, resting in biblical joy is so much more fulfilling than chasing and pursuing this world's definition of happiness. Because if you think about it, our, those world definition of happiness is built on right circumstances. Joy is built on Christ. It's built on a person. And so what's amazing is that no matter what you go through, a good day, bad day, good season, difficult season, you can still have joy because your joy has a name and that name is Jesus. And if you think even the Apostle Paul, when he was writing in Philippians, you know, and you think of 4.4, 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Literally, as he's writing that, he's sitting in a prison cell exactly. and he's not right, you know, and he's not sitting in a prison cell for racing camels, you know, <laughs> or uh, or selling uh, bags of palm trees to smoke. You know what I mean? It's like he's in jail for preaching the gospel. So that's not a favorable circumstance. If anyone has a right to be mad at God, it's him. And yet he's still talking about joy because even in a prison cell, the Holy Spirit is with him and his joy is built on a person and not circumstances. And so, yeah, I think, you know, even that having not, God's not anti-happy, but he wants us to learn joy that, man, even good days, joy, bad days, joy, good seasons, joy, difficult seasons, joy. And then when we learn that, you know, I really believe, you know, that man, that quote that I love, I believe it came from John Piper, where it says God is uh, most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. You know, that like when we are satisfied in him, God's glory, because it is expanding his kingdom. And then. Uh, a mentor told me this one time when it's talking about God's will, because I don't know about you. I used to freak out. What is God's will? You know, and then, 
you know, uh, I remember when I was trying to pick what college to go to, uh, I stumbled over a Sprite can, you know, and it's like, oh, that's green and gold, kind of like Baylor. I must go to Baylor, you know, and like you're looking for <laughs> the God Lord has to... spoken. Yeah, and no, a, an eagle flew over. In the most obscure things. <laughs> and then my mentor, man, just uh, he gave me so much freedom. He goes, here's the deal, like practice obedience, just like what you talked about a while ago, Jonathan. So like ob- obedience and be in God's word every day. Uh, talk to God in prayer. Uh, be in biblical community. Uh, have accountability in your life. And then this is what he said. I love it. He goes, if you're in God's word. If you're praying and talking to your heavenly father, if you're in biblical community, if you have accountability in your life where people are pouring wisdom into and you can ask questions. And then this is what he said. It blew my mind, changed everything. He said, then do whatever you want. And he goes, because the desires of your heart will be to please the Lord and his will. So it's almost like whatever at that point, your desires, your wants that's the Lord's will for your life because you're walking in obedience. You know, God's not going to give you a desire that's contrary to his word. So if you're walking biblically, if you're walking in community, if you're walking in prayer, if you're walking in accountability, then do whatever you want. That's the Lord's will for your life, you know? And that's, I was like, man, that's so that's much it. freedom. You know? I mean, we've made it super complex with religion, right? It's like, Over. I mean, God Over. created the world for you and joy. Step one. Okay, so God is pro-enjoyment. Then God's like, actually, eat from the tree of life so that my life can come and live inside of you. So you don't even have to do this alone. You get to be like God, made in his image. And then so we have Christ who who reforms all of that and we imbibe Christ. He dwells within us. We get a new mind. We get a new heart. Like, it's all there. Yep. But but we have certainly complicated it. Oh, isn't it amazing too you know like and i love this like oh man i could talk all day about this i love this you know even that rejoice in the lord always again i say rejoice it's not a suggestion uh in that it's so direct that's actually a command mm. so if you don't walk in joy you're actually in sin and it's amazing and we don't really talk about those kind of things in church you know i don't know about you and then especially you know you know i live in the south so often People are like, well, you know, at church, being a Christian means you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't chew or date girls that do, you know, and that's it. But no one talks about having joy, you know, and then people just look like curmudgeons, you know, and and you can tell like that's not how Jesus was. You know, like you you have to know Jesus was a fun, winsome, joyful guy. And you're like, well, how do we know that? Because kids flock to him. If you know, like disciples were always having to remove kids <laughs> exactly. off of Jesus. And one thing we know about kids, because I have five of them, is kids don't flock to angry, mean, old guys. Absolutely right? not. Run, well, well said. <laughs> yeah, they run from them. So the fact that kids wanted to constantly be around Jesus, I don't know about you, that tells me a lot about his demeanor, his character. Um, the way he interacted with people. And I think it's the same thing with church. You know, yeah. You know, if you think, I think it's okay for our worship services to be enjoyable and to be full of joy and life and excitement. And yes, hey, can we be overly entertaining to where it distracts from the focus of Christ? Yes. But I'll also say this, being overly boring is just as distracting. Jesus was not boring. The Bible is not boring. So boring is not equivalent to holy and reverent. You know, like, and I think sometimes we think the more boring we are, the more holy and reverent we are. No, you know, like boredom is just as big of a distraction. Seriously. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's so good. I love the way you put that. Uh, now you touched on counseling a couple of times in there. You have a PhD in clinical counseling. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, 
Yeah. Whenever I got that, you know, it was taking that journey. I was pastoring, like I mentioned, a fast growing church with lots of young people, lots of, uh, you know, young marrieds, those that were getting married, those that were single. And so, man, myself and our staff, we were doing tons of counseling. And so basically I got the degree. I have a license in counseling, not to open a practice, but I basically got the degree because I wanted to help people. I didn't want them to be worse off after they left meeting with me, you know? I was like, well, I want to, I'm doing a lot of counseling, so I want to have the tools and be equipped to do that. So yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah. I don't feel like it's a really huge super gifting of mine, but yeah, I enjoy it for sure. But more respect than even then for, for putting the research and the work in, especially if it's not your natural area of gifting so that you can shore up those areas. Folks, I've got a, some of our best friends, uh, have also adopted a son with cerebral palsy and we visit with them regularly. And so, you know, I know some of what your day to day must look like. Um, and so my, my hat's off to you and to your your wife and your family for, for walking through that journey. Yeah. Uh, Guys, if you want to learn more about Shane and his family and their ministry, go to shanepruitt.com. It's two T's and Pruitt. His book's available everywhere, Nine Common Lies Christians Believe and Why God's Truth is Infinitely Better. Uh, Shane, would you pray for us? I'd be honored, Jonathan. Hey, this was a blast, man. Thank you. Let me pray. Father, you are good, and you're good all the time, even when we don't understand it, um, even when it doesn't make sense. uh, God, we thank you for the life and breath in our lungs that uh, you have given us to praise you with. God, every breath is truly a gift from you. Every day is a gift from you. And honestly, if we be honest, every day is more than we can handle. Um, So we trust you, Lord. Um, God, you didn't build us to believe in ourselves. You built us to believe in someone bigger than ourselves, and that's you. Um, And God, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you desire for us to have joy. Um, We know that's not always going to be easy. We may not always feel a happy feeling, but we can have joy because you're with us. And if we have been bought with the blood of your son, Jesus, and your spirit lives inside of us, then we know that you will never leave us or forsake us. Um, And so, God, we thank you that you are with us. You have not forgotten us, that you love us. And God, we thank you um, that we have um, the margin in our life to be honest with you and to be vulnerable and transparent um, because you're all knowing and you know it anyway. And it's amazing the work that you often do when we're just honest. And it's amazing how you use our testimony to be a blessing to others when we're honest about our failures and our struggles. But in those moments, we can point to our victory that's in Christ. And so, God, I pray that every day um, would be about your name, your fame, and your glory because you deserve that. We pray this in the name above every name, Jesus, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Shane Pruitt. How good is that? Go check out the show notes to uh, also see the video of that beautiful video of him and his wife bringing uh, their new daughter home and and just how the older sisters react. It makes me cry every time. Uh, We just uh, last night had our what looks like to be our final major interview with our adoption caseworker, so our foster and adoption caseworker. So we're excited to see where that goes in the new year. Friends, go find me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I provide a lot of content every day on Instagram. I do uh, 
prayer, I lead prayer and meditation videos almost almost daily, and share a lot of stuff to keep you inspired, keep you hungry, keep you pushing in for more of what God has for you. If you are looking for non-religious thoughts and reflections on a God who is for you and loves you, then Jonathan Puddle is your guy. Find articles at jonathanpuddle.com. And like I said, Jonathan Puddle on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. God bless you all, and hope to see you next week.